0: Welcome to Pouring Over Pages, a podcast of words and wine. I'm Alexa, and I'm Maritza, and let's pop bottles and read novels. Woo! Woo! Episode 11 in the house.
1: Episode 11. This is really exciting, not only because this is a book that we read and loved, but because we have a very special guest today. Yay! Hi! Yay! Introduce <laughs>
2: yourself. Hi, my name is Erica, and um, I'm excited to be on here, and I am Colombian, which probably makes sense why I'm your uh, guest today.
0: Yay! Erica has been my near and dear friend for nearly two decades. Yes. And um, we've had a wonderful friendship. I remember her coming to my high school, transferring there, and learning all about her and her family. And I thought um, when we were reading this book that she would be such a perfect guest. Obviously, she's Colombian, and this book is (laughs) Colombian. No, duh. But also just I felt that she could give us an interesting perspective and a very relatable perspective on all of these different issues we face in the book uh, that we can't speak to. So I figured it would be a perfect fit and she's always wanted to do a podcast,
1: so So
2: here I am. Here you Thank are. you. Very excited. <laughs> Yay.
1: I mean, I can't think of a better guest for this book. That's for sure. What we what we want to emphasize really I think for this conversation is how really great fiction and really great writing can echo and and reverberate within us when we relate so deeply to the story. And for this episode, we chose to read Infinite Country by Patricia Engel. And this is a story about a family that is originally from Colombia, and they venture to the United States, of course, in search of a better life and more opportunity. And what we see through much Summary, which is an interesting way of, of writing a book, I think. There's a lot of summary that takes place in the book, a lot of time, time hops and lack of detail at, at moments. Swaths of broad paint, I think, is, is, a, is a way to describe it. But it's really a book that talks about a family that ends up um, in a very difficult situation because they are of mixed legal status. So you have parents who are undocumented and then you have some of the kids who were born in the United States and some who were not. So this creates a very precarious situation for the characters. And as the story unfolds, you get to hear about how they ended up in this particular situation. You learn a little bit about each character. They're endearing. They're also likable and unlikable. They're relatable. They are a real family. I think the way that they're portrayed in the book is is accurate in the sense that families are undeniably complicated. <laughs> and that's that's really one way to put it. But I'm curious first to hear, Alexa, if, if you enjoyed the book. I mean, I certainly did. And I could go on and on, but I should not. <laughs>
0: yes, I, I love this book. I thought the writing was very well done. I loved the different um, perspectives we get with each chapter and each character getting into... Um, their head space and and where they are, whether they're in the United States or back in Colombia. Um, so I really love this book. It you know we'll get to it, but when you close the book up, you look down at it and you're just like, yay, that was a good read.
1: I mean, that's how I know you liked it because you always complain about endings that aren't real endings. <laughs> <laughs> And the irony is this one's kind of an ending that's not really an ending in a way, in a a way, way. no spoilers. Right. But in a way,
0: in a way. But it also wrapped up nicely. I I need a good wrap up.
1: Fair, (laughs) fair. And as we discuss this incredible book and dive into topics of generational trauma, assimilation, perceptions of the United States abroad, I mean, all these different topics. We're going to be sipping on some pretty phenomenal wine.
0: Yes. So the wine I chose for this episode was um, Alma de Catlea Sauvignon Blanc 2020. It is from a Colombian winemaker who now lives in California and obviously has her vineyards and and winery in California. So I wanted to get as relatable to the book as I could. And um, this is the way in which I did it. And I'll speak more about that uh, later on.
1: I think one of the strengths in this book, even though it is very, very short... I mean, this is like a 200-pager, I think. Yeah, it's an easy... It's Turner. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely a, a quick read in that sense and very short, but it packs a pretty heavy punch. And one of the strengths of the book, I think, is that it does a really great job of depicting what immigrants experience when they come to the United States, specifically uh, immigrants coming from Latin America. Mm-hmm. All of us can relate in that sense, right? Because my parents are immigrants and they came here from Nicaragua. All of us have that story, all the people sitting in in, in this room. So some of that felt relatable. Some of it felt not, completely unrelatable because we're fortunate enough to live in Miami where we don't experience some of that racism because yeah. here Correct. the minority yeah. is the majority, right? We, we feel safer here in a sense.
2: Yes. In a way, it's like an extension of your home country, if you will, after a while, um, it, it it feels that way. So I, I echo that. Definitely. I mean, for Christ's sake, there's a, there's a place down here called Little
0: Havana. You have little <laughs> this. <laughs>
2: so yes, it, I can find Colombian empanadas anywhere. I mean, uh, where I live and uh, <laughs> Colombian soccer players come and stay here and they're, you know, uh, Colombian festivals. So definitely. Definitely an extension.
1: Yeah, I mean, Miami is is a city built by immigrants and so we feel... We feel comfortable here, but there's no doubt that what we experience is not what every immigrant mm. experiences when they come to the United States. And we're ta- we'll are talk we talk a little bit more about assimilation as we go. But one of the things that, that really struck me was some of the anecdotes that are discussed in the book of things that they experience from other people, the hatred and the just the, 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 the horrible, um, just the way they're called out and treated in public yeah. space because they don't look like the... Uh, American in the way that Americans have sort of (laughs) defined themselves, which is white, right? We'll just leave it at that. But on page, on page 38, um, there's this quote that really hit me pretty hard. In South Carolina, they became used to stares, absorbing hisses from locals of go back to where you came from, while Mauro and Elena pretended not to understand. Sometimes when Mauro was out alone, someone would mutter terrorist at him as if he were one of the hijackers whose faces plastered the news. This book takes place in a post 9 11 world yeah
0: yeah there's a scene where um where she's sitting and watching tv and sees the the towers crashing down and she's wondering if this is real life or not
1: right and of course what we're you know that's a very particular element in the book but i think Mm -hmm. it gave the book a lot of strength because that was a very particular moment in time We all remember it and we all have lived the aftermath of what that means, right? Like we can't take certain things on airplanes, right? Going through TSA is an absolute nightmare. All of these things, but we forget because those things are just practicalities for a lot of us, but we forget that what it did was also create, um, real hatred for the foreigner. It created a sense of othering that is not new by any stretch of the imagination, especially here in the United States, but it felt so personal because it happened on home soil. Yeah, exactly, Certainly. and that was the, the first time in a while. I
0: mean, Russians had it for a while before, the Japanese had it, um, you know, with all these major incidents in history that have it, different groups have been othered in America, and, and now it's, you know, with 9-11, it was all the brown people.
2: Right, exactly agree yeah I mean it, it uh definitely you can feel that compassion right even if it was in your own nationality that was all of a sudden being shunned or looked at a certain way after 911 uh, I think we all were compassionate towards each other and, and could relate with that um mm-hmm. discrimination
1: yeah and it's and as and as we've said it's not it's not new and it's not rare but the book provides insight into what some of those challenge what some of those challenges really mean, um, on page 40, it says, Elena knew in every war, it was the innocents who paid, but in this American offensive, all foreigners could be perceived as the enemy. And that really sums it up. I think, you know, we, we, we could really go on and on when it comes to examples of how this book very succinctly puts together these, these points. I mean, she's, she's so articulate in the way that she writes that one sentence explains so very much of what people experience here and so very much of what is wrong with this country. Yeah,
0: no, definitely. There was one part in the book that really um, stayed with me, which was, you know, obviously she was getting pregnant here. I think she had two kids in America. And how the doctors, you would think that educated oh, I know. doctors would be more empathetic towards her situation, but they were trying to get her to abort her baby. And they were trying to tell her there was something wrong with the child. And all the women in her community were like, oh, don't listen, they do this here, all of our children were born fine.
1: Right, exactly. And that that is a moment that is particularly troubling, obviously, but I think again, and I don't wanna just Co- you know compliment this book over and over again but it speaks to the particular experiences of women as well yes. it's not just what it's like to come as an immigrant as a brown person and try and find your way but also really particular instances of what it's like to be a woman in that in that situation and yeah that that happens on on page 40 and and as you said later she heard from other women who'd been told similar things and then gave birth to healthy babies the united states has has that history. The question is whether or not we want to face it. Some people do, some people don't, but in order to get past it, you have to, right? You have to have those conversations. And, you know, there's also the, the, the very male perspective mm-hmm. that you see in the book, a right? With, on, yeah. with, uh, on page 89, with the apparent logic that removing fathers is the most efficient method for undoing a family, the officers targeted men more often than women. So there you have, you know, what it's like to be a brown woman coming here what it's like to be a brown man coming here and how they systematically dismantle your family
2: yeah i think that um you know even hearing it after reading it and hearing you say that quote back again it, gen- it just draws me back and it, these emotions come flooding back where you know when my family and i m- moved here to miami to the united states Even, I mean, I was six years old and even still, I remember always having like that constant fear that something would happen. um, That we were happy and life was different than it had been in Bogota, Colombia, from where I was born and where we moved from. Um, But always that fear, yeah, like what's going to happen to our family? Um, Being little and you would hear your parents whisper when they thought you were sleeping of their own fears. And that's very you know, it really shakes you to your core when you're six years old and you think back to that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I can echo that and you, that fear that um, your family is going to be dismantled and you just don't know what tomorrow is going to
1: bring. And I think especially that idea of mixed legal status. That mm-hmm. was that was a really difficult thing in the book because even even me, like I consider myself to be relatively educated on these issues and, and, and I try and stay up to date on everything that's happening in Congress and and when, if, and when we'll pass immigration reform and path to citizenship. And I, I, I try, right. But I still couldn't believe how this book taught me or made me picture what that particular struggle is like. Right? Like I think, I think of DACA recipients when I think of Mm, people who are of mixed legal status, right? Dreamers. I think of them, but in this case, that wasn't it, right? It was totally, totally different. So I thought how many different cases, how many different situations exist out there that are kind of like this, but not like this at all. Right?
2: Absolutely. I mean, you, um, everybody has a different story. Everybody comes into this country, um, seeking a better life. And I, I think I still, you know, wear this badge of honor. Um, I mean, I'm an American citizen now, but I love this country. I love the United States, but Colombia will forever be like what I identify with. And I just love to the core. And when people talk so badly about, you know, Oh, go back to where you came from. If you don't like it, you know, stay in your country. People are not crossing the border or, um, coming here on travel visas just for the fun of it you know people are truly leaving behind their entire lives and coming here with nothing but whatever fits in the two suitcases that they're allowed to bring with them. To pack up your whole life and make it fit into a suitcase and then have to come here and pretend, you know, make the best of it. In this case, my parents made the very best of it that they could for me, a little six-year-old, and made it seem like everything was fine. Um, And I appreciate that in retrospect, obviously. But now that I'm an adult and a parent myself, I cannot imagine. I mean, my mom was 26 years old. Um, didn't know a single word of English. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember us crossing the street at the apartment where we were living and going to the 7-Eleven and her just trying to buy me an ice cream and didn't even know how to count like the change that she had and Aww. if that was enough. Um, so I really just, I'm so sensitive to that. Um, and really, I just hope that we can all learn to really understand the courage that it takes when somebody's leaving their home country, all of their family members to, to come and seek a better life for a reason. There's, there's a story. Everybody comes with a a strong driving force behind them, um, because it's not an easy decision to, to make. So I just hope, um, you know, in reading this, I, I found myself, even though I've lived this situation, just being so compassionate for what the entire family was going through and all of the hard decisions that they had to make. So.
0: Yeah. And this goes back to, um, I'm glad you touched upon that topic, taking courage to leave your home country. This goes back to our book, Exit West, in a prior episode. People don't leave for shits and giggles. People don't leave. For fun, for whatever. People leave because they have to leave. They leave their whole family, their whole world. They're not coming here to mooch off the government, Uh, to take our jobs. I mean,
2: and you (laughs) can't really mooch off the government. That's what people that haven't been in this situation don't understand. You are coming here, you don't have a status, you know, you have to come here and really...
1: You work, work your fucking ass hard.
2: off. Absolutely. I mean, thank God for the public education system yes. that takes in the children. You know, thank goodness for that. Um, because I I just, again, I cannot imagine uh, being in my parents' shoes and having to make those decisions. I remember still to this day thinking that I was going to go back and see my grandparents whom mm-hmm. raised me. And I saw every single day of my life that I was just going to go back in a few weeks and see them. Not knowing uh-huh. that... My parents knew another truth, you know, it wasn't going to be that easy. Yes, we came into the United States with a process and, but that all takes time, right? Even though it was done legally, it takes time and it's not like I could just go back in three weeks and go see them. So, um,
1: yeah. And I, I also, I want to, I want to echo that and add to that because you just used the word legally, right? I I really want to highlight that legal doesn't equal morally correct. And the way that we tend to criminalize, I mean, literally criminalize people for the decisions that they make to come here when it might be their only option. It might be their only way of survival. It may be their only way of moving forward. It may be their only way of finding proper opportunity, right? So it's, it's just important to think of language and how how important language is when we're talking about this conversation. A lot of people don't like the word undocumented even though that's the the more common term the now or use the more I Yeah, guess. it's the, a more the recent. Alien. Right. Um, yeah. We we don't, don't, we're, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're not going to do that. But undocumented and they talk about this in the book, it's I had never thought of it that way either, right? This book really shed a lot of light for me because undocumented undocumented means that you have that you are not a real person unless there is a paper trail of you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you yeah. narrow it down to that, it's also very dehumanizing, right? So it's difficult to cross the board. I think people's intentions are good when coming up with the word undocumented. And for the purposes of this episode, that's probably the word that I'll use, yeah. but I see the problem in it. And I only do because I read this book. Yeah. And I, and I also, I really want to highlight what Eric has said about People coming here because they need to, because there's a beautiful, beautiful quote on page 169 that says, eventually she'd understand that in matters of migration, even accidental, no option is more moral than another. There is only the path you make. Any other would be just as wrong or right. Yeah.
0: Absolutely
1: imperative to understand that. I think it's imperative to understand that because so many people don't know or understand this story. Here we we hear it every day because yeah. we're, we're we live here in Miami. We're all immigrants, or I mean, in this case, I'm the daughter of immigrants, right? But we all know people. But in other parts of the country, that's not really the case. Something and people more. people might want to pick this book up because it actually really does, I think, provide. An incredible story for you to read on what it can be like, right? Not what it is like because it's different for everybody, but what it can be like. And I I thought that was a really, really important thing about this book is if we can widely share it, we'll create that compassion that Erica is is talking about and nodding at. Yeah, I mean,
2: everybody has a different story. I mean, depending, right, what city you migrate to and you're fortunate enough uh, to to move to and and start making a life, you know. And then I think even your experience once you arrive at the United States, it's going to really be impacted, as we saw in the book, of where you end up, if you will. Mm -hmm. We were fortunate enough. Again, my parents were in a process when we came to the United States. And even though it was difficult, we were blessed because we had a route to citizenship. Um, Yeah. Eventually and but so many people we were fortunate enough again to come on an airplane. I mean, it was very different. Yeah. Um, And while I completely relate to the immigrant story, we understand that people have to cross the border sometimes, you know days on end on foot and hiding and trying to with their children with their children yeah I cannot imagine trying to I mean it's difficult to entertain a child at home with tv and (laughs) a park and all these things I cannot imagine trying to hide trying to keep your child quiet entertained and fed while you're trying to cross a border so really I think the experience once you arrive here largely is impacted and by where you end up um, so everybody's story is different and it, it's hard to sum up, right? The immigrant story. Um, but that's also what makes it so beautiful and living in Miami, we're privy to so many different cultures. We have Nicaraguans, Colombians, Cubans really dominate the city. <laughs> um, but I mean, even though Cuban struggle, Alexa, I think you can talk to that as well and how everybody, every nationality has a struggle, but we all unite in the sense that at the end of the day, everybody just wanted a better life.
0: Yeah, they did. This story in particular, um, obviously you guys know my parents um, immigrated here in the 70s and the freedom flights, but one thing that struck me with Mauro and um, paralleling my grandfather was that when my mom got on the plane, Her dad was still in Cuba. Like he Mm -hmm. saw her and waved from the chain link fence and she didn't see him. My grandmother didn't let her see him because she didn't want her to freak out on the plane. She's, I think, seven or eight or nine years Uh old. But my mom didn't see her dad again until she was in her late teens or 20s, I want to say. So decades had passed. She was a grown ass woman meeting her dad again for the first time.
2: And and I can imagine how that must have felt. I mean, it took me 11 years to see my grandparents. I mean, just thank God, right, that for uh, technology and as things evolved a little, you know, we were able to talk on the phone constantly because at one point you had to buy a calling card. So even that was difficult, (laughs) like keeping in contact was even difficult, but uh yeah, I mean, it's everybody's story is different is really the the thing that I want to echo. And um, just compassion, you never know um, who you're sitting next to and what it took for them to be here, you know, and, and these chants of go back to where you came from. Oof. I mean, they, they roll off the tongue so easily, but They carry so much weight because you just don't know where they came from and what they were fleeing and what they're seeking in this country. And it's difficult really to achieve what you're seeking for here when a lot of times you don't even have that opportunity. And when you're being shunned and um, again, this thing of you're living off the government is really not true. Like uh, people that come here undocumented without a social security number you can't get food stamps. You can't get all these benefits that come And from you the pay government.
1: taxes. You yeah, pay for, taxes. Right. So right. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear or, that stupid ass argument ever again.
2: Or if you, you know, are doing a job because you're undocumented and you have to work for somebody in a warehouse that can, will tell you that they're going to pay you weekly and who knows when they'll pay yeah. you, right? right? I mean, and I think we see some of those... Uh, Topics and opportunities that were happened in the book and in the story, but it's very much alive still, very much happening. Um, I think in all across the United States. Yeah, yeah. there were disgusting
0: instances and examples in the book of people getting taken advantage of left and right for being undocumented. And what immigrants. could they do? I mean, yeah. you
2: really have no option when you are again undocumented. Who do you seek to? Who do you go to yeah. for Justice, you
1: you don't you, you can't have to put up with it, and you can't go to the police, right? No, they right? they oh, talk they talk about, they not, talk about right? that in the book. They're like you avoid the police, like you avoid the plague, because all it takes is for them to look at you and ask you for your ID, for your papers, mm-hmm. etc. So they don't have a place to go, and so for that reason, as you said, they get taken advantage of. There's, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll warn potential readers: there's a horrific rape scene yeah, in oh the book. Goodness. And of course the the victim cannot say anything. She cannot she can't go to anyone. And worse of all, she can't even escape the person who attacked her because she is working for that person. Yeah. And so, needs to
2: continue to make whatever little money is exactly, being paid.
1: Yeah. Exactly. You don't have a lot of margin for, for anything, for seeking any sort of justice. And, and that brings me to another topic that I really want to discuss with, with you guys. And this is one that's of particular interest to me. I always find some kind of way to bring it up during these discussions because I find it fascinating. And that is the idea of, of, of the American fantasy and, and, and Mm -hmm the way that people perceive the United States abroad and how that influences the perceptions of, of Americans. And, and on page 90, they ask a really incredible question, which is what was it about this country that kept everyone hostage to its fantasy? Yes,
2: el sueño americano. It, uh, <laughs> the American dream is what that translates to. Is and- dead.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, I mean, it's, Dead to those that arrive and uh, within a few weeks can see um, how difficult and um, that this, again, American dream perception can be achieved. Absolutely. This country is a great opportunity and a beautiful country, really, but it is not um, to be taken lightly. I mean, that American dream is achieved with a lot of work, especially, again, if you are undocumented and the opportunities that you have for jobs or to make a living wage are, I mean, that much harder to find.
1: I mean, that's. I think that's why right now I'm super glad that you're on today because I'm too cynical to believe that, right? I come from a very different perspective. I don't believe that there's an American dream. I believe that the cards are stacked against you for a hundred different reasons. And I believe that whoever has the money has the opportunity. And if you're very lucky, it doesn't matter how hard you work. If you're very lucky and you strike opportunity, then you're one of the few that's used as an example to say, oh, look at the American dream. Look how fantastic it is. And that's why I like the use of the word hostage, that we're hostage to this fantasy. Neither one of us is right or wrong. I think both things are true. I think both things are absolutely true, but it's, it's two different perceptions that I think come from your your own personal way of interpreting history, yeah. right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and to your point, the American dream is going to vary from person to person. I mean, I think for my parents, the American dream was just that land of opportunity. Um, and I mean, the reason why people, I mean, in my case, leave Colombia is because there's especially was a lot of um war and violence and danger in your everyday life. Um again a beautiful country and I love that now culturally Colombia has been represented in such a different light. Um because then another thing that comes with being an immigrant from Colombia is always these jabs about cocaine and drugs and violence and cartels which very true. I mean part of our history and we can't erase that. But then now we're seen in a different light, and again, the American dream varies from person to person. I think my parents was just the opportunity that I, you know, this little girl came and learned English and was able to go to school and university and and be a working professional. Opportunities that unfortunately are not so easy to come by when you are in Colombia. In this case, you know, public school here in the United States free for all. You know, everybody has textbooks that you take home and there's these different subjects in school that in Colombia, perhaps that opportunity would not have been there. Um, I remember, you know, going to space camp when I was in the fourth (laughs) grade and field trips that were just to me, pun intended, out of this world.
1: (laughs) I had to. (laughs) But really,
2: I mean, When I talk to family members and friends, they just didn't have those opportunities and they were equally as happy. But there's also a sadness when you compare what your friends and family have lived versus the opportunities. They're truly opportunities that you've had in this country. So while for some people, the American dream is, you know, Uh, being rich and making it and being famous. For others, really, the American dream is just being able to live and work and play without fear of losing your life over something extremely trivial.
0: Yeah, it's all relative, pretty much what you're saying. Being able to... Walk down the street and not get shot at versus you know, my family fleeing, a dictatorship where they wouldn't, you know, their businesses were being seized and all their assets. And it's just, yeah, I guess the American dream is relative in that sense.
1: Absolutely. And 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 also one of the things that if you're seeking asylum, for example, you have to prove that you are being persecuted, that you Mm -hmm. specifically are being persecuted. And and I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that, that there's there's rampant violence that pushes people out of their homes because it's not sometimes individual persecution so much as it is a violent environment that yeah, could right. potentially kill you, your family, even on accident, right? A stray bullet, you name yeah, it. Collateral so, damage. Exactly. So it's, it's it seems like such an unfair question to make someone prove to you, to the US government, that I they are specifically I was just right? going
2: to say how. When you retell these stories in a courtroom, because you have to go in front of a judge in a Mm -hmm. courtroom, and you're telling these stories that are so extremely real and almost out of a movie, because it is so hard to believe that thousands and millions of people are going through these things. And you may have a judge that, and I hate to say it, you know, this whiteness that is so far removed from the concept of immigration and you have to explain yourselves to them. I mean, it's almost hard to believe. So a lot of times people are accused of making up stories, you know, like this isn't true. And you're, you're expected after you fled your country to produce all this sort of uh, backup or data (laughs) proof that you really were fleeing a terrible situation when you left with just a suitcase. So it, I mean, it's hats off to everybody that's going through this, um, Political asylum, or just the immigration process, yeah. um, and to all of these attorneys that work pro bono and are really mm-hmm. trying to help people, um, and all of these services that exist because uh, it's not easy. And and yeah. every family member of, you know, your your family is affected by this. Truly.
1: Yeah, yeah and I, I would say too that you know what you mentioned. You know, you had certain opportunities, and maybe the people. In Colombia, didn't have those opportunities, but they were just as happy. I yes. think it's I think it's fascinating that in this book they 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 sort of touch on that indirectly yeah. because there's a moment when Talia is having a conversation with that boy that drives her all the way over all to way to Bogota yeah. on his motorcycle and <laughs> very
2: Colombian, by the way. Very. I mean, there's three lanes, uh, you know, on
1: the road there, but the
2: motorcycles. I mean, they they weave their way in and out. So, so this uh, <laughs> is this is
1: an authentic <laughs> story.
2: Authentic, yes. <laughs>
1: He says, he asked, I thought, I thought this was really fascinating. He says, aren't you afraid? And she says, what? And he's like, well, over there, people walk into schools and buildings with weapons and kill everyone. They're not even guerrillas or paramilitary. They're just regular people.
2: Yeah. I mean, and that's also that um, kind of contrast, right? Because with the American dream come these new fears. And it is true. You know, now that I'm a mother and I have my children in school, it is very much a fear. And to your point, it is not a fear that my cousins or family members have in Colombia. So yes, I mean you were able to be happy in both situations, and yes, I had different opportunities than my perhaps my family members and friends had, but they were equally as happy, and they continue to be as mm-hmm. happy. Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting concept, really, when you when you take a second and think about um, we had different opportunities, but we're equally as happy and joyful and almost what you don't, you don't miss what you don't know, right? Yeah. Like they, I hate to say it, but if you don't know yeah, what's out there, know. you can't really miss it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, and that's, and that's I think really emphasized in, in this book in a really intelligent way, but it also discusses generational trauma, which I think is a really, really fascinating topic because we're seeing the way that sometimes Talia is suffering because of all of the violence and all the things that her mother has endured. But Mm -hmm. she's not really taken particularly seriously because... To, to have depression is a is a gringo problem as as they phrase it right Amazing. we have this generational <laughs> trauma where it's considered a luxury to be able to express how you feel and to seek treatment for that so i thought that was really fascinating because talia is she's very open in the book i think she's the one that we really get to know yeah, the, most. the most from from a from a first person perspective but that trauma lingers and then as the book goes it builds because we understand where it came from we hear about elena we hear about her struggle we hear about mauro we hear about everything that they've encountered and it becomes a part of talia's story as well and i think all of us hold a little part of that we hold what it means for our parents to be in danger we hold that and we function in our everyday lives with those same fears and And I experienced that in a, in a horrible way when I was, when I was a young kiddo and I, I lived in, in Guatemala for, for quite a while. I didn't move back to the U S until I was nine and Guatemala is a very violent, very violent place, a very dangerous place. And we, you know, we went to school on the school bus and, and I wasn't on the bus and neither, neither was my brother, but there was a, a, a guy who stopped the bus and, and you know, took a little girl hostage, right? Like these things were a part of our everyday. And we went to a school that was very secure, right? With like barbed wire fences, because you didn't want someone to come in with a gun and, and take one of these wealthy kids for ransom, right? So growing up in that is very hard because you perceive it as normal until you're in a different environment. So my parents thought it was a brilliant idea when we moved here to move me to Key Biscayne where suddenly I could walk by myself to school. <laughs> oh my and I was goodness. so confused. And I thought to myself, but isn't someone going to take me? Aren't I going to get hurt, you know? And sometimes I would, I, when, I was, when I was still living in Guate, with my parents would go out. First of all, sometimes they wouldn't even tell me that they were going out because it would cause so much panic because mm. I thought that maybe they wouldn't come home, right? So all of that you take with you. And then when I, many years later, when I moved to Paris and I was living there for college, there was a day when I was assaulted and it was the worst because I carried with me this equal amount of fear that wasn't actually comparable or really relative to what I experienced, but it felt that big because the possibility in my mind had been that big, right? So we carry the trauma of our own experiences, of other places, of countries that we left behind because they were too dangerous for us. But we also carry the fear that is instilled in us because of the unsafety that our parents experienced. Mm -hmm. That becomes a part of the package that you carry with you. Oh, 100%. I mean, I'm sorry you went through that, and I
2: can't even imagine that, that fear, but I relate to the fact that you carry that with you forever. I mean, right now I'm blessed enough to live maybe 15 blocks from my parents' home. And my husband and I joke that, you know, like, I'll never leave my parents. I'll never really move away from them. And, you know, my husband is so great and so thankful that he has such a great relationship with my parents. And he's right. I'll never, you know, I'm in the hospitality industry and, you know, Orlando, this great city of entertainment, (laughs) so many theme parks, so many hotels there that we really could both go work for. And I, the truth is, if my parents don't move with us to Orlando, I... I can't leave their side. You know, of course they live in their own home. I live in my own home, but for so many years, it was just the three of us. And then when my brother was born here in the United States, it was the four of us that that is really, we have so much fam- so many family members in Colombia. but at the end of the day, it was just us four. And I mean, so much sacrifice that they went through and it actually gets me emotional because I, <laughs> I can't imagine again being a 26 year old woman a 20 year old father and and moving your whole life here on a hope and a whim and my dad was working at a you know he, he had the pleasure of working for a Colombian family and they were very wealthy and well to do and they had some animals like exotic animals that my dad without <laughs> knowing what to do like baked it till he made it and he was taking care of ostriches and all oh these my exotic God. birds. <laughs> You know, I can't imagine me right now having to do that. And so... Me neither. I I have a picture, a really funny picture of me standing next to an ostrich. And my dad thought it was like, so cool, you're standing next to an ostrich. And I was paranoid, terrified. (laughs) I still am to this day. But I'm almost indebted forever to my parents. I mean, what they did for our family and what that led to. I mean... My husband is of Jamaican descent. I would have never met him, you know, had I been yes. in Colombia and all of these <laughs> opportunities we've had. So it does create that bond and something you take with you forever that, uh, I mean, I could never just, just leave and move from my parents. I feel like after all we've been through and again, com- I mean, we've really had a, a very fortunate life. our immigration story is completely different. And it's not, you know, as traumatic as so what so many people are living right now. But still, I can't imagine just ever moving away from them. So to your point, Maritza, like you just carry that with you forever. And I'm, I'm so big on talking to my children about Colombia, you know, because you just, there's this pride and you want to always be Colombian through and through and You don't want your children, although they'll never experience what you experience, you never want them to forget that. And um, there's beauty in that. But then there's also a lot of sadness um, when you really stop and think about the life you left behind um, and the things that, you know, you'll never get to live, really. I mean, I see my grandparents and I'm so fortunate that they're still alive, but I see them maybe once a year, Mm -hmm. twice a year. um, and, And they raised me. Till yeah. I was six years old. So being an immigrant and having this immigration story comes with a lot of a lot of burden and a lot of unspoken trauma. Um that you try not to let it affect you really. But it but it's there when you just start even reading a book like this, you start peeling back at the layers. It brings so many memories back. <laughs> so many. Yes, I could go on and on. So I'll <laughs> I'll just take a sip of this wine, which is delicious, by the way. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I, I echo that so strongly because I feel the same way. After, like, like you said, after everything that we've been through, right? After After all the sacrifices that were made so that I could grow up here. And so then I could go and be a complete... You know, spoiled little shit, living in Europe for six <laughs> years. You know, and then flipping the bill for that. You know, like la la. for me to live that is because they came here, is because I was able to be educated here, because I was given opportunity that I would have never had if mm-hmm. my parents would have stayed in Nicaragua and I would have been born there. I mean, I could have been comfortable. There's no question. Well, course, when we, were, course, we were living lived a happy life. Yeah, we you know, were living like a pretty calm, you know, life over there doing. for sure. sure, for sure. But you know, at the end of the day, sometimes mm-hmm. you know in your heart that there's something. Better out there for you, and and pursuing it. Once you know, and once you know you want to pursue it, pursuing it becomes the only option, yeah, and you true. can't fault people for that. Nope. And that's that's really what we do. We fault people for choosing better for themselves, and I'm I'm I'll never do that. The the day that I do that, you know, something's gone horribly wrong.
0: <laughs> You've been abducted. Yeah, like, to yeah,
1: find you <laughs> to yeah. There's a, a robot. A capitalist took robot. Me. Oh my god, that sounds like my <laughs> worst nightmare. Jeez, I mean, I I think to conclude i mean there's so much more
0: there's so, oh so
1: much more that for we that we could, that talk we could here. say i mean and, and part of me wants to be like there's got to be some sort of like bonus episode or something mm-hmm. because we didn't even touch on
0: i could always add to think about yeah like, if i we mean just talk i could cut this just give me more wine up. Up. <laughs> we could cut it out i mean
1: i mean if you guys will indulge me i really i would love even if it's just for a few minutes to talk about uh, assimilation and whiteness in america and what that means for immigrants because as we stated at the beginning coming to miami is a little different you don't really assimilate in the way that a lot of other immigrants do because you come here and you you speak spanish i mean you can live in miami and not speak english you know oh, you can get, my, you can my get m- by. like of english yeah. Yeah. she's 93 heart. years old Bless her heart she's like at this point why would so i why would i bother <laughs> yeah and i mean i think that that's Again, an absolute blessing, right? We're here in Miami. We all feel very much like home. We all kind of look like each other. We sound like each other. But, you know, it's touched on in this book and on page 135, it says, I remember wondering what it must feel like to belong to American whiteness and to know you can do whatever you want because nobody you love is deportable. What kind of freedom comes with that, right? American whiteness, that's how you assimilate when you come to the United States. And there's an incredible book that I read about about two years ago, I think, um, called Working Towards Whiteness uh, by David R. Roediger. And it talks about that. It talks about how a couple generations back when the Italians came here and the Greeks came here, they were not considered white. Nice. And we think of that as something crazy now, yeah. right? But the the definition of whiteness has changed in order to make it beneficial for some and not beneficial for others. So there's this question of like, well, will Latin Americans ever be considered white if other people have been able to come here and face that adversity and now be defined as that? Is that how we assimilate in America? I would argue that yes, it is. There is no other... What I'm about to say is going to definitely piss a lot of people off, Do but it. but the truth is this. <laughs> we don't have in the United States a culture that is rich in the way that Nicaragua is, in mm-hmm. the way that Cuba is, yes. in the way that Colombia is. I hate to say this, but I'm okay saying it because I don't mind facing history head on. The only culture that we have is the horrific things that we did in terms of slavery that's the only thing americans can hold on to factually as cultural history and i know people are going to hate that i said that but in reality that's why when people come here they assimilate by becoming white acting white and that becomes a major theme in the book and the idea of performing whiteness right so it's like we've been trying to pass since we moved to this town right says on page 133 you were the one who told me performing Anglo is in how you walk, talk, and dress. It's in how you think, what you spend your money on when you have it. It's in what you love and who you hate. I mean, how else can you define it? That's it. Yeah. And if they believe it, it's because you believed it first. I mean, I took a heavy yeah, turn there. You took a heavy.
0: <laughs> but it's true. I mean, my mom tells me these stories, and, and I think um, Cubans fall into the trap very easily when they come here. Um, of assimilating into whiteness because a lot of mm. them are very white passing as I'm, you know, right. look at me. Course, you know, right. so it's not. And my mom would tell me these stories of when she was in high school and she would, you know, listen to rock and roll with her friends. She would freaking wear like a Confederate flag belt buckle. Lord. Not knowing. Lord. Your mother. My mother. <laughs> not knowing what the fuck it meant. But just because right, you're white friends. Oh, my God. But that's like, like
1: the perfect example right there. That's the only thing people can hold on to she in this country. Oh, yeah. That's shit. <laughs> shit. I mean, it's right there. It's right there. It's yes. on, it's on there. the belt. <laughs> it's on the belt.
0: But so she would tell me these stories and and you could see they just want to fit in and, and and be American. And wh- whether that's, you know, wearing that bell buckle or learning English, it's there's very... It varies in the way in which we do these yeah, things. Yeah, and
2: I'm, I, I can't help but to think, you know, of the old saying, ignorance is bliss, right? Because when you uh, compare your white, quote unquote, white American friends, that really you just think, like, what worries these people, mm-hmm. right? As an immigrant, what worries them? What fears do they have? You know, like they're not worried like immigrants or Latins, Hispanics, wherever you migrated from, are worried that their families are going to be torn apart. And then it's like, it almost becomes cynical, right? Like the things that worry their fears compared to yours. I mean, and it's not their fault, right? I mean, this is the country that they were born in. and But you just can't help but to compare sometimes like, oh my God, these people have no idea what is happening to immigrant families and what their real fears are. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could see people trying to assimilate <laughs> to the culture and just doing whatever to to fit in. Um, but it's definitely an interesting um, topic. Almost, I mean, there's like jokes and Colombian like memes that you know you're singing words to a song in English that you have no idea <laughs> <laughs> what the what the lyrics are, but you're just singing along to try to fit in um, because it's a great country uh, to, to this point, but we all, everybody wants to fit in. And again, uh, back to that, you want to follow the American dream. And while this country is not perfect, um, it undoubtedly has so many opportunities. And we, I think for generations, you know, we'll continue to seek this country and want to be here and want to be a part of it. Um, And I mean, it's great. It it really, I, I just want to say also that this is truly a great country. And I'm so thankful that um, it's embraced us all here at this table and our family members. Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> the FBI is not listening, Erica. It's fine. <laughs> no, yeah. I no, no, I truly. do Not don't. to say that I don't I have know. my own <laughs> issues,
1: but uh. they they come after me first. I think you're they the come after hearted. me first for sure because I I agree with Erica wholeheartedly and I think one of the ways that we show love, I. I I fully believe this, and and again, I'm going to butcher it because James Baldwin is so much more eloquent and articulate and, and perfect. Uh, but he basically said that it's because he loves the United States that he feels it's his responsibility to perpetually criticize her, Absolutely.
0: because that is the
1: only way that you form a more perfect union. Yeah, if you'd that. like to use your own your own language there, yeah. U.S. government. <laughs> And I think that at the very end, and, and and I think this is a great way to conclude and a great way to sum everything up because it did so, so beautifully in the book, but the very last line leaves us thinking and imagining and fantasizing. I'm not saying that in a positive or negative way, but just really letting your imagination run wild because it says, and maybe there is no nation or citizenry. There are just territories mapped in place of family, in place of love, the infinite country. Yeah beautiful Love it's it. true
2: i mean we're really all just people you yeah. know everybody life is so short everybody just wants a better future and yeah. who are we to say that you know this is where the border ends and you are there and i'm here like people just want a better life yeah um and and this book was just so beautiful and it touched on that and um thank you yeah. oh, thank, thank you for letting me talk and having me on and uh For picking this book. It was great. Cheers. Thank you for joining us and sharing,
0: you know, your story. I know digging up those emotions as you're reading the pages can be tough. So (laughs) thank you.
1: You definitely enriched our conversation. So cheers. Cheers. Let's keep (laughs) sipping and let's move on to the delicious wine that we've been sipping this whole time that is so delicious. And now Alexa's gonna pour herself more as she needs to.
2: It's really yummy. So now we get
0: on to the wine. Um, as I mentioned before, um, since the store is primarily based in Colombia, I really wanted to pick a wine that was representative of the country. Clearly, you know, there's not much wine going on there. There is wine, just not so much of it. Um, they actually produce wine in small quantities in some of the regions, but as you would imagine, the climate isn't the best for the grapes. Um, they have a lot of humidity and not a clear you know, reason for seasons, everything's... It's kind of like here. So imagine trying to grow grapes in Florida. So I thought the next best thing would be picking a Colombian winemaker. So when I was searching, I really only found one that was was loud and proud about her heritage. Viviana <laughs> González Rave, was born and raised in Colombia. Even though she Ooh. had, yes, Yay. even though she had little exposure growing up to wine, somehow the website told me by the <laughs> by the age of 14 she knew that she wanted to become a winemaker. Go figure! Wow. I know, dreaming big. Um, she actually studied chemical engineering and business in Colombia, ah. but, but then uh, moved to France to study viticulture. And she earned a bachelor's degree at the University of Bordeaux, graduating with honors. So she really was on track. And in, I mean, in my personal opinion, one of the best places to learn about wine in Bordeaux. Very nice. Um, she had the opportunity to work with some of the best wineries in France, including Chateau um, Haute-Baronne. <laughs> I'm looking at Maritza as I'm saying this <laughs> to make sure I don't fuck it up. Um, and La Mission in Bordeaux, just to name a few, like all the big ri- wineries in there. Um, and I think she also worked in Rhone a bit. So she really knows her shit. Before starting her own labels in California, she also did harvest in, I want to say, South Africa. And she worked for major um, wineries in California, like La Crema and um, a bunch of others. So... Even though she makes her wines in California, she still wanted to be very much connected to her homeland. So in 2012, she created her first label, Catlea, as a homage to her home country, naming it after the national flower of Colombia, which Erica Googled, and it is true.
2: A very beautiful species of orchids, yes.
0: (laughs) And in this venture, um, this wine that we're drinking, Alma de Catlea, represents the soul of the land that gives life to her wines, as well as her own soul put into each drop of wine that she bottles and makes for us.
2: Beautiful. So cute. Thank you for for finding her and and picking her. I know. I
0: I just wish that she responded to me (laughs) so I could have asked her some questions.
1: Yeah, we always like to hear from... From the winemaker. Tag
0: her, tag her. I'm sure she will. Uh, I'm sure she will. I'll bombard her with this episode. <laughs> yeah, let's
1: do it. That's what we do to authors too.
0: <laughs> no, we do, we do. And so tonight we're drinking um, a Sauvignon Blanc. The fruit is grown primarily in the Russian River Valley, um, along the Sonoma coast. And it's a blend of five different vineyards on hillside locations across that county. So what we like to do here first is take a look. We uh, tip the glass and look at it over a white background this mm-hmm. is i would say pale yellow in color with a fleck of green yes i, I see that mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and then what we do next of course is we sniff it you swirl the wine a bit give it a big whiff right off the bat i'm getting a ton of tropical fruit yeah definitely yes. definitely like passion fruit lots of mm. grapefruit maracujan yeah as we would yes. say in colombia <laughs> there you go there you go lemon lime. lemon yeah yeah there's like a hint of um, grass, but not as much as the the tropical fruit. That's more the the overwhelming. Yeah, see
2: that?
0: No, so, and then we take a big sip and swirl it around our mouths. <laughs> yeah, you get a lot of the same tropical fruit, a lot of
2: acidity. Yeah, silky. I I don't know if that's a term to describe. No, it
0: is. This wine is, um, this wine does have some texture to it, some creaminess.
2: Yeah, yes. Yes.
0: Creaminess. And that. (laughs) Like it coats your tongue. It does. It does. It's medium bodied. It has the creaminess. And that, geeky wine fact. So when I was looking up this wine, a lot of the times um, Sauvignon Blanc is um, fermented and aged in um, stainless steel because you don't want to impart any oak flavors into this. But this wine was um, aged in neutral French oak barrels. So you don't impart a lot of um, flavors from it. But for four months before bottling on the Lees. Mm -hmm. So Lees (laughs) is a very... um, fancy word for saying um, most of and this is fine leaves to be matter of fact for the wine people that listen to this so it's a fancy word of saying the dead yeast cells that gradually settle at the bottom of the barrel so it was aged with those still there hanging out for four months and that's what gives it this creamy
2: I love it Dead yeast cells yes. at the bottom. Nice. Super sexy. <laughs> wow, Delicious. Well, they work. I mean, I, I, I sense that creaminess. You, you got the note. I did. I did. I <laughs> And know? I'm not for, I mean, those of you, I don't, I mean, I'll drink anything, really. <laughs> any kind of wine. But uh, being a friend of Alexis has been great because uh, look at that. I could taste the creaminess now. Mm-hmm. So thank
0: you. No, and it's a nice um, dry wine. I know this is a higher alcohol. I think it's 14%, I want to say. Um, high acidity, wow. but, um, yeah. I no, wow. Erica, watch out. Yes. <laughs> Erica gone wild. Liddy. Liddy. <laughs> <Litty, laughs> super liddy. Um, but with this wine, um, with the nice high acidity, you could pair it with a variety of things. Um. You could do seafood, of course. Empanadas. Empanadas. Something to <laughs> cut because this the acidity totally cuts the fat. So anything fatty, maybe chicharrón. Avellas, chicharrón. Yes. Oh,
2: oh,
1: yum. <laughs> um, some pork belly. Oh yes, yum. pork belly. Yes, Oof. pork
2: belly for our our, our white uh, yeah. our, <laughs> assimilation. Our, that's uh, chicharrón, and then pork belly. Pork belly <laughs> is the uh, the white assimilation aspect of there it. Yes. There you go. There you go. It sounds so fancy when we say pork belly.
1: Yeah, and then we're over here like chicharron. Chicharron
2: with the grease dripping down <laughs> your
1: cheeks. It's
0: amazing. <laughs> um, and then this one, too, um, it's very easy to find. I found it on um, wine.com, and I got it for 24 dollars so under $25. Right. I think it's very affordable. Um very delicious, very Murza, would you say crisp?
1: I would definitely say that it's crisp and I would definitely say it's refreshing. Yeah. Yes. Those are the yes. two adjectives that it's I light.
2: I love it. It almost like you're biting into an apple. Like yes. that, that, crunch, that, that. It's great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Yes. You know what I like is that even though it it does have that creaminess, I don't want people to think in any way, shape, or form, that it's like you know, it's like it's not an Alfredo like, sauce. It's crazy. not like a buttery <laughs> Chardonnay. Like I hate that. You know, it's it's, it's it is very refreshing. It's it's yes. something that you can have out on a hot day. I mean, it's it's Definitely. it's really 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 perfect. I think for for that Miami weather. Yeah. Now that it's hot again. Now that it's hot, yes. and she has a
0: bunch of different um, wines that she makes. She has. I saw a Chardonnay. I think she has um, Pinot Noir. Um, and different chardonnays too, some that are more aged than others, more expensive than others. Um. And if you're
2: not a wine drinker for this episode, you could pair it with a great cup of Colombian coffee. Yeah, That's there, me, you uh, <laughs> there you go. Oh. That's me pitching what? everything that my country has to what offer. Other
0: beverage, aguardiente. <laughs>
2: aguardiente. Oh, absolutely. Aguardiente. <laughs> And coffee and all of
1: that beauty uh, that we have to offer. So yeah, I can't even smell aguardiente without thinking about all the horrible decisions you have to have I the made. Sugar
2: free one. It's it's the that's sugar how, that that's gets you. That's how you know.
1: That's how you know you grew up in Miami when you have memories <laughs> of being too drunk on aguardiente. Yep. Like, yes. Fire on. water. Fire that uh, water.
2: assimilation. Fire water. <laughs>
1: fire water. And it really does feel and taste like fire water for those of you who have yet to try it. It I've- makes
2: a fun night of karaoke. Makes Um, for fun anything. (laughs) of anything,
1: yeah, and a horrible morning the next day.
2: Do try it; it's not that bad. We
1: urge you. We urge
0: our white listeners. (laughs) Give it a try. See see if you
1: can. Let's see if you can hang.
0: (laughs) Yes. Let us know. Let Let us us know. know. Write it in the chat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh well, I just wanted to thank you guys so much for listening, Erica. It's been so... Such a pleasure to have you here with thank us. Thank you. I
2: thoroughly enjoyed this. You may not be able to get rid of me. We'll see how that goes. Ah. I, I may just uh, try to tag along and uh, make little cameos. But yes. thank you. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. Of course. This and has been great. It's so good. And if you
0: love us, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Pouring Over Pages Podcast. If you listen to our podcast, give us five stars, subscribe, yeah. write a review, and um, share, share. Share it with
2: people. You never know who in your timeline is interested about books and exactly. wine. Exactly. Share, yeah. share it. <laughs>
0: go to our Etsy shop, buy some merch, subscribe to our newsletter. There are many ways to connect and keep the conversation going. But until the next time, we're going to say
1: cheers. 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 Thank you. Salud. Salud. Yes, Salud. Yes, there we go. <laughs>